after five years, 40,000 pages read, nearly 1,000 pages written. The task is now complete. to you that since last Friday I have successfully defended the dissertation and have now earned my PhD. This program has not been easy and the task has been nothing less than a spiritual war. But God has seen us through, when I say us, my family and I, in ways that cannot be imagined. This program, this degree, is dedicated to God and for those who seek after their calling and their dreams. With God, all things are possible as He can see us through anything. The journey has not ended, but only begun. And for those who are dreaming, may I encourage you, don't stop believing. For our God can get us through any difficulty and bring us to triumph. So for those in the program, keep pressing on. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we step into the arena of ideas. Coming to you from Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, and Ronan, Montana. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast. And for the first time ever, I can say to you that I am now Dr. Brian Chilton. As uh, by the grace of God, I was able to defend my dissertation this past uh, this past uh, Friday, and uh, everything has been set. It's been the dissertation's been accepted by the library. I actually just got re- received word from uh, the university today that uh, the degree has been conferred. So we are all set. Um, it'll be uh, the degree supposed to be here about three to six weeks. So it is all set, and so I am so thankful uh, to be completed. And I want to thank every one of you for your prayers and so we're excited to see about what god's going to do in the future and uh we've got a little montage uh at the very front of the podcast that you've heard if you're listening to the audio version uh, that you heard that uh coming into the podcast uh so again we want to thank everyone for your prayers we want to thank everyone uh for for being with us here on the bellator christie podcast uh just so you know uh in case you're listening to the recorded podcast uh we are now live on thursday evenings at 8 p.m eastern time uh that would be what 6 p.m mountain time i believe that's right if i get my my calculations right uh so we want to thank you we want to invite you to uh, join us 
on YouTube. You can also catch us on uh, Facebook Live. We are having a little issues getting the streams going on both, but um, anyhow, uh, we're hoping that, uh, that that you're able to leave a comment on the YouTube account. I'm not exactly sure. We're this is a work in progress. By the time we finish season six, we'll have it down to a science. And so <laughs> it's just a matter of getting through all the, uh, the, the the little bugs as we go along. So without further ado, let's introduce the man who needs no introduction, the man, the myth, the legend from Montana. That is the one and only Curtis Evelo. <laughs> I don't know about that. You gave me a pretty uh, hefty introduction, but I think it's you. I think everybody needs to be just uh, celebrating you. You know how long this has been? My goodness, man. It It is. I remember when you started it. Yep. You know, and what, and what distance you've come with that. My goodness. What, what a, what a, uh, a grace walk that God has given with that. Amazing. Absolutely. And to be honest with you, I was telling someone uh, the other day that in many ways, this process has been kind of like a spiritual war because God has just showed up. I mean, the devil attacked us. The devil, I mean, the, the devil just tried to put through roadblocks in our way, but God showed up on, in several different ways, sometimes putting the right people in the right places yeah. at the right times, helping us yeah. along this journey. It has really, truly been a testament to the power of God. So I mean, really, I mean, I'm celebrating no doubt about it, but uh, you put in the work and effort. That's, that's for sure. But, but it is honestly the, by the grace of God that we were able to get through this. I mean, and I say we, because my family's included, because if it weren't for their assistance, it, yeah. it would be, it'd been a really a, a tough road. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, uh, Pretty awesome to see it and, and to have it finally done. And you know what's crazy is the the other day, well, it's a while back now, not really the other day, my goodness. Um, I say the other day, and that includes about a year back. <laughs> you know, so, so that's kind of where it's at with me. But but truly, um, you had made mention that you were you were like, well, once once I'm getting close to my dissertation, I'm going to just go ahead and enroll in another class and do this and that. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I don't get it, my, man. My wife was asking the same thing. <laughs> I was like, man, this is just, this is nuts. But yeah, but here's the thing, you know, with, with that, Brian, you've got an amazing ability to retain things that. Thank you. Um, I think that most people just don't, um, just don't share in that same thing. I mean, I, <sighs> I understand that the doctorate level, it's kind of like what one of your uh, professors said, you know, if you're going to do it, you, you know, you're, you're made out to do it. You're called to do it because it makes sure you're called to do it because um, it's a lot of work. A lot Absolutely. goes into it. I forget who that was who said that, but it was actually true. Dr. Purser, my, my chair. And, oh, really? Uh, whenever, you know, he was, uh, of course, they recently changed PhD directors, and the, the new PhD director is was, was one of my readers. So I was blessed to have the former director and the, and the current director on my, on my committee. Yeah, you had and, a stacked uh, deck, though. I'm just saying. I had an awesome committee, honestly, and I was concerned because of that. Yeah. Because I dabble in a little bit of Greek, the Greek language, and with the different the biblical languages, and uh, one the Doctor Thornhill, who is <laughs> yep. one of the American Ninja Warriors, he was my yep. Greek professor. He taught me Greek, and Doctor Purser, I mean, the man I've seen him before. He can take a Greek New Testament. And read it like he's reading an English translation. He's that good at it. So I'm thinking to myself, you talking about being intimidated. <laughs> but uh, but they asked some wonderful questions. Most of the questions were about the methodology, and mm -hmm. they gave me some tips uh, because my, the plan is to publish this uh, as a book. It's going to be it's going to be published on the library. The dissertation will be, but we're going I'm going to fine tune it a little bit for for the book. And they gave me some advice on how to hone in. Uh, some things to, to strengthen the, the work even more. So the time it comes out on, on in book form, the book may very well actually be even better than the dissertation, um, tweaking these little things together. I mean, it won't have to be, I won't have to do a whole lot of work, extra work to get where it needs to be, but uh, um, just a few little tweaks here and there 
is going to add strength to the to the overall body of research. That's just crazy. So these are all Liberty University uh, professors, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So who was all involved? So Dr. Purser, Leo Purser, was my mm-hmm. chair, um, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, he was the most he was the closest involved. He helped me uh, with with shaping. Uh, which I, I had the idea, and he gave me insight and direction on on how to shape and form a few things. Um, well, not a few things, a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> then, the, <laughs> Ronnie yeah. Campbell, he's been on the yeah. podcast before. Leo yep. Purser's been he on the sure podcast has. before. Yep, they sure um, have. So, so Dr. Ronnie Campbell, he he was kind of the uh, theological backbone because you know he he's a he's a graduate in the theolo- mm-hmm. theology and apologetics program, right? Yep. And and uh, Chad Thornhill, who yep. is one of the American Ninja Warriors, he's actually been on the television program American Ninja Warrior, and um, he uh, he is he served as another resource with the Greek, the biblical languages uh, aspect. And so, Doctor Thornhill asked some amazing questions, and uh, he just has really a knack for looking at the nuances of things and, and providing insight mm-hmm. and. and and cor- positive correction to really steer it to make things even stronger because mm-hmm. he was adding insights all along the process of this that really tr- truly made this uh, an even better work than I could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. So this is new ground that's being broken with this uh, dissertation, or is this uh, something that you're piggybacking off of? It's it's actually and that's one of the things that, that was mentioned in the in the uh, in the defense that this is de- this is definitely new work uh, new new ground being uh, plowed. Uh, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> yeah. and, and the goal is, and, and this is even something I mentioned in the defense. The goal is, my hope is that someone who is really in tune, really knowledgeable in New Testament studies, biblical studies. Uh, someone who has a knack for biblical languages, especially if someone is well-trained in Aramaic, Mm -hmm. that they will pick up on the methodology that I use looking for early source material uh, in in the Gospel of Matthew and uh, will will really even deepen the uh, research um, even more so. So that's, that's the goal. That's the hope that I have. That someone will pick up on this and and really take off with it. That's pretty cool. Well, let's get started in on this. I'm going to just go ahead with the first question here, Brian, um, because we're we're still we're working through. This is episode two on the D, on on the Holy Spirit on pneumatology, and so today with the episode two um, is the deity of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, does the Holy Spirit share some divine attributes as this? the same divine attributes as the Father and Son? If so, what divine attributes do the Scriptures speak about the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit really, because God, the Holy Spirit is God, um, he, he does share all the same attributes, the divine attributes that the Father and Son do, because mm-hmm. you, know, you, you don't have, the Spirit's often thought about being the lesser person, but that's not necessarily the case. Right. Because he's just as much God as the Father and the Son are, so the Holy Spirit shares all the same attributes that that uh, the Father and Son share. And we're going to look at a few passages of Scripture as we go through the uh, the uh, podcast tonight. In fact, we've got a, quite a bit of Scriptures to look at tonight. But we're going to see that uh, just as the the Father and Son are an omnipotent, so is the Holy Spirit. Uh, we see the Spirit as omniscient, meaning that He's all knowledgeable. Right. All knowing. Uh, The spirit is eternal in his nature, just as the father and son are. Uh, He is omnipresent. And this is really an amazing thing to consider about the Holy Spirit, that he's in all places and all times. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's there's not a place you can go that the spirit's not already there. And that's so just and what came to my mind right as we started this was Psalm 51, verse 11. Where David says, David says, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Mm-hmm. So, so it's all around. It's with him and it's personal. Yes. It's just amazing. 
And so, and so the thing to remember there is there's a little nuance that we have to make when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And we may get into this in a later podcast, a little more in depth and maybe even be next week's podcast. But you have the, the personal nature of the Holy Spirit, the personal presence of the Spirit, but then you have the overreaching, um, um, the presence. So you have a personal presence, and then you just have the the spiritual presence, and the functioning the presence. Yeah, the the, the the functioning presence. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um. So so you, in in other words, the Holy Spirit is in all places at all times, but that doesn't mean that He relates to all people the same way. Mm-hmm. And there are times when the Spirit shows up, as we're going to talk about the Shekinah glory. When he shows up with thunder and lightning and rumblings and and all this amazing clouds and light, uh, tremendous display. That is the personal presence of the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. uh, himself. So there's a distinction. And thank you for mentioning the word functional. I couldn't get it to come to my memory. The functional uh, aspect, functional aspect of the Holy Spirit and the personal aspect of the Holy Spirit. Functionally, the Spirit is in all places. But personally, he abides and resides within the people of faith. That's mm. a that's a wonderful um, functioning. I can't remember same, why I couldn't think of that. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave. Absolutely. Hey, bo- yeah, that's a scripture we're going to read here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, hey. And so yeah. he's eternal. He's omnipresent. Uh, and then mm. the same Holy Spirit, as you said, that hovered over the waters at creation, raised Jesus from the dead. Lives and abides within us. That is so yeah. true. Yeah. So then, where do we learn about yeah the omnipotence of the Holy Spirit? Well, there's a couple of passages of scripture, and and really, there's probably many more that we can mention. Yeah. Um, but Curtis, I'll have you read the first one, if you will, Luke one thirty five. Okay. Sword drill. Find Luke. <laughs> if it helps some of those notes i sent you yep yep <laughs> so 135 um it's funny i was just on that so luke 135 says and the angel answer answered her the holy spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So in this passage, the angel Gabriel reminds Mary of the omnipotent power of the Holy Spirit. Because when he, when he came and announced that she was going to have a son, uh, obviously the first thing she says, well, wait a minute, I've never known a man, you know, in the biological sense. I've never known mm-hmm. a man. And right. so... Um, so how is it possible that she was going to have mm-hmm. a son? And so the angel Gabriel reminds her that uh, of, of the power of the Most High, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon her. Even the Apostles' Creed is, is made mention that the, that the Spirit of God brought, mm-hmm. uh, you know, allowed Mary to have, um, have Jesus. It was a work of the Holy Spirit. And so Gabriel reminds Mary of the power of the Holy Spirit. What seems to be impossible with mankind is very possible with God. So mm. while the Father's transcendent, and he's very much involved in this as well, uh, he, but he, and he kind of exists in that state of otherness, so to speak. The Spirit resides and dwells with us in creation, flowing from the Father and from the sun as well. So they're really all interconnected, all interconnected. And it's in the Romans 15, 19. There's another passage of scripture, mm-hmm. and I'll go ahead and read this one. Uh, he said, uh, Paul writes, for I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed for the obedience of the Gentiles by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit, by the power of God's spirit, these miraculous signs and wonders came about. And as a result, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to uh, Illyricium. Uh, what a word that is. So <laughs> how would you like to be there from that city when you're in kindergarten? So but in this, yeah. <laughs> Paul associates the miraculous signs and wonders coming not only from Christ, but coming from the Holy Spirit of God. So he recognizes in this passage of Scripture the almighty power of the Holy Spirit 
uh, even moving people to salvation, pro- opening doors for him to enter. And so uh, they are able to go where the Spirit leads and do and accomplish what the Spirit allows. And here's something that we need to remember, and we're going to come back to this on the last uh, last question. But remember, I think we as a church need to remember that it takes the Holy Spirit of God. We, we, we talk about these vision statements and mission statements, and I'm not opposed to that, okay? But if you've heard me say it one time, you've heard me say it a million times, <laughs> you've got to have the Holy Spirit of God involved in it. Because you think about this, evangelism, the Spirit of God's got to be moving you know, on a person's heart before they can ever respond. So you got to have the Spirit involved. Discipleship. Discipleship has to have the Spirit of God involved in it because God's got to be motivating and the Spirit's got to be persuading. The Spirit's got to be activating uh, and, um, and, and, and bringing things to mind uh, through the discipleship process. So this work of ministry is very much a spiritual work. And if you take the Spirit out of the spiritual, all you have is a Yule and that's not going to do any good at all. Uh, you've got it's a spiritual work that we do. <laughs> See, that's a good thing that we have. You, the, you must the be Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyhow, wouldn't you agree, Curtis? hundred percent, hundred percent. And by the way, let me just say, I meant to mention this all, off the air, but we ran out of time. This past Sunday at a Baptist church now, uh, the Spirit of God came down. We, we were talking about anointing people with oil, and we are talking about God moving and, and healing. And there were people who come down. I mean, we were planning to lay hands on the guy who would, uh, was, was to have surgery. Before we knew it, there was another person came down, wanted to be anointed with oil. Then we had another family came down. We anointed them with oil. And before, before it was all done, I had I smelled like... Uh, I smelled like a a perfume bottle of frankincense and myrrh (laughs) because the power of the spirit was moving in that, in that service. And in fact, I heard uh, numerous people uh, comment on, on just the power of the spirit moving in that, in that service. So uh, this, you've got to have the spirit of God involved. If you're going to see anything accomplished. Yeah. Uh, So I'll leave it at that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So then what does the scripture say about the Spirit's omniscience? Well, let's first of all look at, uh, and and Curtis, I'll just tag this one off to you, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11. uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11. And here's where we're going to see something that Paul says. It's fairly self-explanatory. It's one of these passages that really doesn't need a lot of, yeah, and this is Paul. Paul, yeah, Paul speaking yeah. to the Church of Corinth, and he's 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 just now establishing what it's what what the church is required or what is what is needed to be recognized uh, by them. So um, it says here, verse verse eleven. Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit. Since now, now, the who, Spirit who revealed it? I'm sorry, Chris. Don't mean to interrupt you. God. The, yeah. The Spirit God of God is revealed yeah. these things. Yeah. And then it says uh, these things to us by the Spirit. Since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, for who knows a person's thought except his Spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And that's so true because, because uh, you know, I myself know my thoughts. The only other person that knows my thoughts is God. Mm-hmm. He searches, searches our thoughts and searches our hearts. And, and yeah, so that's how we, that's how we know. Yeah. See, the amazing thing is, even with all of our technology, you, you can hook, hook electrodes to a person's brain, and you can see electrical neurons, the, the firing of a neck, uh, uh, the electrical firing of neurons in a person's mm-hmm. brain, and seeing what part of the brain is is being activated. But with all that technology, you can't see what the person's thinking. Right. You can see the area of the brain that's being impacted. So here, here's the thing: uh, Richard Swanberg and many others, Swanberg and many others have noted that there are mental states yep. and there are physical states. 
Yep. The mental states are are those are those part are those uh, the, the the mental states are those those sections that relate to the spiritual being of a person. Yeah. So we have a mind, and it's related to that spiritual essence of who we are, right. that immaterial essence, and it interacts with that physical brain. So right. you can see the areas of the brain that are interacting with the immaterial uh, immaterial mind. But you can't know the person's thoughts. Right. The spirit of God, however, who is immaterial, flowing through, who can interact with the physical, but flowing through all things, he knows the he knows the thoughts of a person. He knows the thoughts that we have. He interacts with us not only on the physical plane, but also in a spiritual reign, uh, the spiritual plane. He knows all things. Right. So God, through the Spirit reveals truths to us that's why you've got to have the spirit of god involved in discipleship you've got to mm-hmm. have the spirit of god involved in evangelism you've got to have the spirit of god of god involved in all things really quite mm-hmm. honestly um we wonder why we're in the state we're in in our, in our modern nation well part of the problem is that we're trying to do things our way instead of doing things god's way right and that's part of the problem um right. so anyhow who knows the spirit? Uh, who knows the thoughts of man? The spirit of God knows it. Who knows the thoughts of God? Only the spirit of God knows the thoughts of God. He only knows yeah. the mind of God. And he can yeah. reveal those truths to us. So that's why you've got to have the spirit of God involved. Yeah. Isn't that funny, though? In the Gospels, Jesus tells he 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 basically confronts the Pharisees for the thoughts they were thinking about him and he's like why why are you thinking this way and they're like whoa wait a minute and yet we just read for only the thoughts of god or thoughts of a man are known by god isn't that funny though like we talked um a while back um about certain things and how um there like greg kokel talks about um Close your eyes and you think of what your mom was wearing while she was cooking um, your favorite favorite dinner. And so you think about those things and you and you pull that memory up. And where was that memory? Well, it's it's not in your brain. It's in your spirit. It's in your it's it's in your function and your animation, I should say more in your animation and the sights, the smells, the 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 all of the colors, all of the things come rushing back. It's not like a Rolodex in their brain that somebody's going to be able to say, okay, well, here it is. I can pull that up on a computer screen. It's actually within your spirit. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, you think about Jesus, you know, you mentioned, you know, him interacting with the thoughts of the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. I even kind of think about, remember the the story of Nathaniel? Mm -hmm. Yep, uh, yep. By the tree, he, he, Jesus sees Nathaniel by the tree. Yep, and most likely Nathaniel's not saying anything to anyone, but he's praying to God. Yep. And Jesus is nowhere near him, but he knows that he's praying, and that's why Nathaniel says, "Well, surely you must be the Son of God." <laughs> because only yeah. only God Himself could have known that. Only God uh, knows what I was praying. And yep. maybe who knows? Maybe Nathaniel's even praying, "Show me the Messiah," and yep. then here you see Jesus. I don't know, just things to consider. But, I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, Curtis, and very well put, that there's numerous times that Jesus knew the thoughts of people Mm -hmm. in ways that no one else could have. Right. Uh, Here's another passage of Scripture. John 16, 13 says, when the spirit of – these are the words of Jesus. Mm. When the spirit of truth comes – here again, pay attention to who's doing the action. He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. Mm. He will also declare to you what is to come. And so Jesus taught that the spirit which teach his disciples, and he even tells them, even after he leaves, that he's going to have, that they're going to have something even better than they can imagine. They're going to have the personal presence of God abiding with them, activated in their lives, lives, and, and guiding them in the ways of truth. And this wouldn't only be for the 12 disciples 
and the early disciples, the 70 and the other early, early disciples. But this would be for all Christians of all time, that they would have the holy presence of God, the power of God living and abiding with them in a way that the Old Testament that people wish they could have had. I mean, we right. truly have a gift uh, in the Holy Spirit that yeah. uh, that people in days gone by before the time of Christ would have paid good money to have. Yeah. Yep. So does the scripture say anything about uh, the Holy Spirit's eternal nature? Well, yeah, actually it does. Uh, let's have you read uh, Hebrews 1, 10 through 12. And then there's a couple of passages in Revelation I'll pick up on uh, after, the, after we read from Hebrews. So Hebrews 1, uh, verse 10. And in the beginning, Lord, you established the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. Verse 11, they will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like clothing. You will roll them up like a cloak, and then they will ch be changed like clothing. But you are the same, and your years will never end, remembering that the Spirit was involved in the work oh, of that's creation. It, those are my words. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is true, remembering that the work of the Spirit is involved in the, in the creation, Brian, I there's so many different levels that are part of that. That um, so in the work of creation itself, he was involved in that. But also, it continues, continues to keep um, reminding us or functioning within us as we then create or move on in our lives. What we do, yeah, and it's it's important to remember that not only does the spirit uh, create. But he also mm -hmm. th there's a there's a theological topic, and I'm not sure if we've even got this uh, on cue to, to handle or not. But if not, it's important to discuss now. Uh, but uh, not only does the Spirit, not only does God through the Spirit create and establish, but He also maintains and preserves through the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, Basil of Caesarea, uh, one of the early church fathers uh, who came after the well, this is around the days of uh, Athanasius of Alexandria. Um, he argued that if it weren't for the very power and presence of God, mm -hmm. uh, then then everything would fly apart at the seams, and we would just nothing would exist mm -hmm. if God wasn't maintaining it by His presence and by His power. And so, I would have to agree with Basil. I think not only is what not only is God responsible for creation, but God is responsible through the Holy Spirit for preserving and maintaining yep. creation. Yeah. Every breath we have, every breath we breathe, every beat of our heart is a, is a gift of God. And so yeah. that's why I truly believe that. I think you can probably speed up the process, but that's why I believe that uh, that we will not pass away until God permits us to. And so um, and what, what I mean by that is we have a certain number of days. God knows when, when they are. And uh, we won't pass before he's ready for us. Um, mm. So he not only creates, he maintains. And the wonderful thing is, we know by the preservation of the Holy Spirit, to be absent from this body, to be present with, in pre, in present with the Lord, uh, we know that uh, we, we will maintain our identity and association with the Spirit of God in heaven for all eternity. Mm -hmm. And what an amazing thing that is to consider. Yeah. So Revelation, uh, and, and this is going to take call for a little bit of explanation. Revelation 1, 4, and 5 says, uh, John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who was to come, is to come, from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So, um, so notice he says here, uh, grace and peace to you from the one who is, was, and is to come. He's talking about the Father. From the seven spirits before his throne. So he's talking about the Ancient of Days, the Father, the seven spirits, and then he talks about Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Revelation 4, 5, and 6 says, Flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder came from his throne. Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Something like a sea of glass similar to crystal, was also before the throne. Now, it's important to remember the symbolism involved here. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. So spirit means a personal living life energy, life force. Um, the number seven means perfection or completion. So put that together, you have the spirit of perfection, the spirit of completion. So those seven spirits around the throne of God, it's that's talking about the Holy Spirit. And mm-hmm. notice in verses one, uh, in chapter one, verses four through five, you've got the triune God head at the throne of God right. because you've got. You've got grace and peace to the one who is, who was, and is to come. That's the Father. You have the seven spirits. That's the Holy Spirit before his throne. And Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, firstborn of the dead, and ruler of the kings of the earth. So there, at the throne room in Revelation, you have the three persons of the triune Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all together around the throne. So uh, there again, I think you see the eternal nature of God, uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the preservation, his work, because the creation is finite, but the spirit of mm-hmm. God is infinite. He is eternal. Uh, he is the seven spirits around the throne of God, uh, meaning that he shares in the eternal nature of God from all eternity. Right. And so, uh, yeah, the Holy Spirit of God shares that eternal aspect of the divine nature. Hmm. So what does the spirits um Let's see here. What does the Spirit's omnipresence? <laughs> what is the Spirit's omnipresence? I think that was I was I was about half asleep when I typed these questions. I think that was supposed to say, "What does the Scripture say?" Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. That was my fault. <laughs> or, or even, what is the Spirit's omnipresence? Both of yeah. those are valid questions. In that, I think. Absolutely. <laughs> So, oh, Psalm one thirty nine. Yeah, Psalm one thirty nine, and and I'll go ahead and read this for us, and then I'll I'll pass on the next one, uh, next couple there to you there, Curtis. Um, so omnipresence. This is talking about the the presence of God being in all places and all times. Um, and recall, folks, what Curtis said earlier about the functional spirit. The functional aspect of the Spirit of God. So I want to read. I, I'm probably not going to read all of this, but I'm going to read. Uh, this is Psalm 139. We're looking at verses 1 through 16. It says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from afar away. Now, here again, remember, we were talking about this earlier, how God, through the Spirit, knows our thoughts. But mm-hmm. he, not even just through the Spirit. He knows intrinsically. You observe my travels and my rest, and you're aware of all my ways. Think about verse 4. Verse 4 is powerful. Before a word is on my tongue, you know yeah. all about it, Lord. Yeah. God knows what we're going to say to him before we mm-hmm. ever even say it. Amazing. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol or in the grave, you're there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold me, hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began so the psalmist is most assuredly speaking of the lord but notice he often reflects on the spirit of god who is all over creation there's nowhere you can go to escape the presence of god not only in the physical realm but also in the spiritual realm as well you you can't even you can't go to heaven without god being there the spirit of god being there you can't go to the grave without the, without the Spirit of God being there. He is everywhere at all times, at all places. He is not restrained by life and death. He can even speak life 
into death um, as he is the ever-living God. Yeah. Yeah, and you think about that, how it's, um, how not only is the spirit, um, he's he's not only doing the work through all of this, you know, but he's also the one assuring that all that is being done. He's the one that actually is drawing up in here, Psalm 139, David actually saying, hey, wait a minute, you've known me from my inward parts. You've known me, you've known my bones before they were even made. You know my thoughts. So he's actually not only revealing, but he's also um, helping understand that that is what God's function is or what the Holy Spirit's function is. Absolutely. So so then here is the Holy Spirit tied to the Shekinah glory of God in the Old Testament. I really believe that he is. I, I really believe that he is. There's a couple of passages of scripture we want to read. So let me first of all say the term Shekinah means the one who dwells or that who dwells. So the Shekinah glory itself is talking about the glory of God, the presence of God who dwelt among certain people at certain times. So there's a there's various passages of scripture we can look at and um there's there's a couple here in um Exodus uh, let me uh, let me go ahead and get this one for you here Curtis. Uh, Exodus 25:8 says <laughs> I'm fighting with a phone. And normally I have that shut off, but for whatever reason. I'm trying <laughs> to keep from laughing. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. For whatever reason, here we are <laughs> live. You know, this never happens when we weren't live. When we were just recording as a podcast, man, we were just flying through stuff. Nothing ever happened. As soon as you go live, this stuff blows up. Oh, my goodness. What kind of. <laughs> What kind of fun is this, I suppose, right? That's so. right. Uh. And so, Exodus 25, 8. Uh, you want to go ahead and, uh, I, since I'm I would, it, you I would love and... to read Exodus 25, 8 from that distraction. Yeah. <laughs> Here, do you want me to read Leviticus? How about numbers? I mean, it would be better than what we're doing right now. Jeez. Uh, Exodus 25, 8. Um, they are to make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. So here again, the Shekinah glory of God uh, mm-hmm. is, is the Holy Spirit of God who was, he served as kind of a bridge between the incorporeal, incorporeal, incompor- I can't even talk tonight, incorporeal, <laughs> good Lord, God and the incorporeal mankind. That mm-hmm. looked better on paper than it was when I was trying to say it. Uh, so when we read about the Shekinah glory of God sweeping into the temple through the eastern gate, mm-hmm. uh, we are seeing the Holy Spirit of God coming in and through uh, that very case. So I, I won't read all of this, but in Ezekiel uh, chapter 43, verses 1 through 12, talks about a time where, where the Spirit of God had left the temple of God. Mm-hmm. And so there was a time where the spirit returned. And so uh, Ezekiel writes, he led me to the gate, the one that faces east, the eastern gate. And I saw the glory of God, of uh, the God of Israel coming from the east. His voice sounded like the roar of a huge torrent and the mm-hmm. earth shone with his glory. The vision I saw was like the one I had seen when he came to destroy the city. And like the one I had seen by the by the Chib- the, the the Kabar Canal, I uh, fell face down. The glory of the Lord entered the temple by way of the gate that faced east. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the inner court, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And while the man was standing beside me, I heard someone speaking to me from the temple. Um, he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place for the soles of my feet where I will dwell among the Israelites forever. The house of Israel and their kings will no longer defile my holy name by their religious prostitution and so on and so forth. So here again, you see a vision of the Spirit of God coming from the eastern skies through the eastern gate and residing in the very temple mount. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's even said, it's, it's said that when Jesus returns, that he's going to come through the eastern gate 
but they, they've actually blocked it up with uh, mm-hmm. bricks and stones right now. But yep. they've actually not, they've actually the the Muslims have actually planted a grave site. So there's a grave site right in front of it. They think that you know the spirit of God isn't gonna um gonna trample on the graves, and it's like, well, no, the graves will be empty as soon as he gets here. So um, yeah, just yeah, that's, so. that's a good point. <laughs> so I mean, the God who spoke, the God who spoke everything into existence, could sur- surely speak and move all that about to, to go back. To yeah, him. yeah. So you know, something to consider. Uh, so even though Christ is often associated with the Shekinah glory, as he should be, because the Shekinah glory is the presence of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. More right. often than not, though, uh, when we look at the Shekinah glory of God in the Old Testament, it's, it's referencing more uh, about the Holy Spirit of God than, than I think any other. Yeah. So what was the Holy Spirit's involvement in creation then? Curtis, do you happen to have Genesis uh, Genesis one pulled up by chance? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. So Genesis one, uh, the spirit, um, the spirit hovered over the waters at creation. Um, so yeah, let me let me look at this. So, um. It's it's funny how when we look at that, um, what are we looking for? What what's the verse we're looking for? It should be. I'm trying to find it in there. And it's it is um, in in. A, I guess it is powerful when we think about how he talks about he hovers over the chaos, hovers over the water. Um, In verse 2, I believe, is where it is. Yeah. And uh, and it says here, uh, the earth was without form and void. And the darkness was over the face of the earth, the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Absolutely. That's, you know, the sea is often viewed as being a place chaos. of great chaos and disorder. Yeah. And, and throughout Scripture, you see God speaking order into the chaos. And it's interesting that in Revelation 21 and 22, mm-hmm. that when John has the vision of heaven, he says there's no more sea. Now, I don't take that to be literal. I take that to be metaphorical because I think he's talking about the, 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 referring, about the back to, referring back to Genesis 1. Yeah, I think he's referring back to, to that text because mm, okay. uh, I think the point is, is that in heaven there is no more chaos there's no more disorder. There's no more sin. There's no more decrepitness. There's nothing like that. It's it's order. It's it's peace, harmony, love, joy, uh, for all eternity. And one interesting that's going to be. Yeah. So yeah. So the spirit hovered over the waters at creation. He brought forth creation into existence. And not only that, as we mentioned previously, he also pres- there's a preservative factor through the Holy Spirit that he keeps things. In, in order as he does. Hmm. Yeah, I heard a pastor one time um, talk about how God's holding things together in such a fine, finite manner that if when he when he if he were to move his hand just just move his hand away from from sustaining creation that it would it would be faster than a nuclear bomb could go off how it would just be eviscerated everything mm-hmm. um how the molecules move in such a way in everything that we do that it that the sustaining power of god holds all of those things in suspense 
that once once he would remove it, it would it would just it would be gone, eviscerated. Well, in Second Peter, there's a there's a passage of scripture too mm-hmm. that talks about when the Father steps on the scene, that that the elements are melted away like a like a like a scroll. The elements just roll back like a scroll. And so I think, um, and like you said, and as the pastor said, in a moment's notice, all the molecular structure of the universe could be yeah. could be destroyed at one time, you know, just by the very power of God, if He so chose to do so. So, uh, just amazing at the awesome power of God. Mm, yeah. So let's see. Uh, let's go to the next question. How was the Spirit tied to Jesus's ministry? And how does this also speak to the importance of the Spirit's ministry in the modern church? Well, we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but I'll say this, uh, and I really came across this in my dissertation, especially Mm -hmm. uh, in the passage in Matthew's Gospel where Jesus uh, talks about the unpardonable sin. We're going to hit on the unpardonable sin next week a little bit when we talk about the personal nature of the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. the personhood of the Holy Spirit. But... He talks about ex- exorcisms and and uh, things of this nature that they were trying to say in that passage of scripture that Jesus was had exorcised uh, this demon out of the guy by the power of Beelzebub or Beelzebul, which was uh, the, the another name for the prince of demons or, or mm-hmm. Satan, um, the prince, the Lord of the Flies, I think is what it it, it amounts to. <laughs> But uh, but Jesus says no. It's by the finger of God that I do this. And what and and what the finger of God motif is talking about is by the very presence and power of the Spirit moving through mm-hmm. creation. And so Jesus reminds them that it's by the finger of God these things are done. It's by the power of God these things are done. And as we're going to talk about next week, as we when we get to the impartable sin part. That to claim that the Spirit's work is something demonic or ascribe it to something else is on the level of something being unpardonable. Now, you can take that too far. But yeah. I think the most, the mm-hmm. clearest explanation for what Jesus is saying is to reject the Spirit's ministry in and through the life of Jesus, because it's through Jesus that the Spirit is bringing the kingdom to earth. It's through Jesus that he's bringing the spirit, the, the, uh, the, the salvation to the world. So to reject the Spirit's work in and through Jesus is to, in fact, reject God's sovereign plan, reject God's salvific mm-hmm. plan. And in so doing, it's unpardonable because you have rejected the grace of God given to provide and affect salvation. So, um, so th- that's an important thing. Also, Paul reminds us in Romans eight ten through twelve. Curtis, you alluded to this earlier. Paul says, "Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you," then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. The same spirit that hovered at the waters at creation, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same spirit that empowered these different miracles to come about lives and abides within the child of God. Hmm. And that's about enough to even get a Baptist to shout. <laughs> yeah how many times as a pastor how many times if you had to uh, not to go off on a tangent but just just out of curiosity as a pastor how many times have you had to minister to somebody or answer the question of pastor how have i blasphemed the holy spirit what what is that what have i what have i can have i committed the impardonable sin. How many times has that kind of type of form of question come up? That's a great question. I I can't say that many people have formulated the question in that way, but I think that uh, the, the church has often alluded to certain things as being unpardonable. Mm. So one thing that that stands in my mind (laughs) is, is the whole issue of divorce. Now divorce is horrible. 
Yep. The divorce is horrible. But there are situations where people get involved in relationships that they can't work out. Right. right. It it just happens. So are we going to say then that that person who made a mistake, who's been forgiven by God, right. who's been empowered by the Holy Spirit, that, that he or she can't be used by God because of something that happened wrong in the past? It's almost that we we hold this sin to be the level to the level of being an unpardonable sin. We may not claim it to be the way that way, but we we act like it is in, mm. in certain churches. Not all churches, but some churches do. Um, and I think that's true for a lot of other things. Mm. I, I'm going to say something maybe a little controversial, but I don't think it should be. I we often have suicide is horrible. And and we do not need to, in by any stretch of the imagination, take our own lives. Uh, that's a horrible, horrible, horrible thing for anyone to do. I've had family members to do that. It's just a horrible thing. And I cannot e- express enough how damaging that is to one person's family. Hmm. But I don't believe... As some people have, some people claim that if you if you uh, commit suicide, that uh, that you automatically go to hell. I don't think that's the case at all, because if Christ forgives us of all sin, and there's only one sin that's unpardonable, that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, rejecting the gift of salvation given to us that's by right. the Spirit through Christ. Then that's that right. means that the blood atones even that horrible thing that happens. Of yeah. self harm, um, so I take comfort in that fact because I've yeah. I've had family members uh, who were great godly people. They had things going on in their lives that were just too much for them to handle, and they, I don't know why they did what they did, but they they, I don't know why they did what they did, but they did it, and so I can't. I'm not in the position to say that someone is uh, not a Christian because of one really bad mistake that they made. Um, So going back to your question, I don't think so so many people have asked the question, but I do think a lot of churches, a lot of places behave as if certain sins are unpardonable. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really tragic. Because I think there's a lot of people out there who could be serving God and doing great things for God, uh, but they've been um, entrapped by by thinking that they are worthless and they can't be used of God because of a bad mistake or something that tragic that happened in their lives in the past. Mm-hmm. It's funny, though, even people that are non-believers will say something to the effect of, well, I can't go to church. I can't, I can't go in there. You know, God, God will just strike me down right as I enter in the gate, enter in the door. Or, um, you know, I'm, I'm too messed up. God wouldn't want me, you know? So even, even non-believers have enough of a spiritual understanding that there's something that's directing traffic, so to speak, (laughs) um, for lack of better words, but it's, there's there's a conviction that we have that i think the spirit lays on us and even though maybe that person might might truly be have done something bad the spirit of god lays that conviction on us and i would be willing to bet that as a non-believer it's nowhere near as heavy of conviction as a believer so a a pre yeah, the spirit of God yeah mm-hmm. well and, and I believe you know I was in I've been taking the CPE clinical pastoral education class and it's oh, been yeah. really good I wish I had taken this thing years ago um, but we had to give our spiritual autobiography about where we've oh, been yeah. and how the spirit brought us to the point that we're at now and that was really therapeutic I thought and it was really wow. good to be able to tell my story. And re- reflect on how God has brought me through certain circumstances and situations. And all that being said, as I, and as I went back and thought about God's movement in my life, I call them divine impressions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the activities where the spirit impresses something on your mind and you can't shake it. And the more the spirit presses mm-hmm. those yeah. things on you, the heavier it gets. And I, and I remember when I first came to faith, 
that heaviness that the Spirit laid on my heart that I needed to get things right. But I think you're right there too, Curtis, in that when we have the Spirit of God in our lives, we're straying, we're not doing things that God wants us to do. He has a way of making us very uncomfortable (laughs) until we we get to where we need to go. Mm -hmm. But he does it out of love and he does it out of grace. It's not to Mm -hmm. make us uncomfortable, uncomfortable. Uh, it's, it's to lead us to safety, to lead us to something even better and greater yeah. in the end. Yeah. I, I, just to reflect real quickly, Curtis, on this whole issue of the PhD program, I remember when God placed a calling in my life um, to do this. I thought to myself, there's no way I can get this thing done. I remember 2017 living in Yakinville, North Carolina. I had this honest to goodness truth. I, I, I filled out half the application and I stopped and I didn't finish it. And somebody at Liberty happened to see it and said, well, we noticed you started the application. Why didn't you finish it? And I thought, well, there's no way I'm going to get into this. They said, well, how do you know? They said, well, and I said, well, I don't know. So they said, well, go ahead and finish it out. And I said, uh, it may be a year or two before you get in the program. Uh, I finished it out. And uh, they said, well, we need you to, t- to write up, you know, submit a paper, submit the paper. We need you to take the Miller's analogy test, did that. And so I thought, there's no way I'm getting in. I get it a few weeks later, says, congratulations, Mr. Chilton. You got in the program. I was like, do what? And I remember even starting this back in 2017, starting one of the classes thinking, this is going to take me forever to get through this. Yeah, and so, like and it now. took me a little longer than most people being five years, but uh, going through the different processes, uh, thinking I'm never going to get finished. And even to get in the dissertation, and I thought that was the hardest part of it all, to be that close and just waiting and, you know, but God brought me through all those yeah. all those things. And so I think that this this journey is kind of a little testimony to how God works. I mean, he may not call you to go to a PhD, and that's fine. Yeah. That's perfectly fine. Um, I haven't been compelled for people to call me doctor. I, I, I've been more glad to, to be done with the thing than anything else. So I'm yeah. not going around saying, you got to call me doctor. you got to call me doctor. No, I mean, I haven't changed. Um, <laughs> call me that if you want to. I tell everybody, call me anything you want. Just don't call me late for supper. That's the biggest yeah. thing. So, yeah. But anyhow, this whole process has been a journey, um, and I think it shows the journey yeah. – and how God can intervene at certain sections throughout our lives to bring us to the point where he wants us. Mm-hmm. Now, God called me to do this. He brought me to the finish line. What is what is he going to do with this in the end? I have no clue. But mm-hmm. I knew he called me to it. And through the storms of the process, he brought me through it. And so there again, as the old cliche says, if God brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. All right. But all that being said, the Spirit of God does that very same thing in our lives. He has those divine impressions he gives us. He He uh, convicts our hearts. But that's a long way to answer your question, a long way around to answer your question. So to answer, there haven't been so many people who have asked about the unpardonable sin, but there have been a lot of people who act as if either they can't be forgiven or they hold accusation over someone else um, mm. for something they've done. And one last final thing before I get off my soapbox today. We've been going through a study in the book of James on Sunday mornings. And I've actually been, I teach a little Bible study at one of the skilled nursing facilities that I go to on Tuesdays. One of the interesting things in the book of James is where he writes that there's one judge. And that's God. <laughs> yep. And I am so thankful that God is the judge and no one else is. Mm. Because think about this. It dawned on me. It dawned on me that even human judges have partial information by which they make a decision. Yeah. Okay. So you have the prosecuting attorney telling them, giving them little bits of information. You have the defense attorney giving them a little bit of bits of information. The jury's hearing this. They've got to make a decision on this from the little bits of information, but they don't know everything that happened. The judge doesn't know everything that happened. Only God is the only being in all creation 
who knows every minute detail of everything that happens in a person's life. He knows our thoughts. He knows our motivations. He knows the things we're going through. He knows the circumstances we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And so God is the only one who can make a pure, clear, and accurate judgment. And praise the Lord, he's the only one who will. Amen. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Words from uh, Dr. Brian Chilton. Uh, been waiting to say that for a while, so it's good good to do it. And uh, man, what a great episode! And uh, all the all the warts and all, we thank everybody for sticking with us. So we here at Bellator Christie want to thank you for spending time together with us. We value that time. Our prayers that this podcast helps stretch your mind and to become a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and as a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christie podcast. Until next time, Brian and I say, soldier on, soldier friends. Soldier on, friends. It's a little Bible study at one of the skilled nursing facilities that I go to on Tuesdays. One of the interesting things in the book of James is where he writes that there's one judge, and that's God. <laughs> yep. And I am so thankful that God is the judge and no one else is. Hmm. Because think about this. It dawned on me. It dawned on me that even human judges have partial information by which they make a decision. Yeah. Okay. So you have the prosecuting attorney telling them, giving them little bits of information. You have the defense attorney giving them a little bit of bits of information. The jury's hearing this. They've got to make a decision on this from the little bits of information, but they don't know everything that happened. The judge doesn't know everything that happened. Only God is the only being in all creation who knows every minute detail of everything that happens in a person's life. He knows our thoughts. He knows our motivations. He knows the things we're going through. He knows the circumstances we're dealing with. And so God is the only one who can make a pure, clear, and accurate judgment. And praise the Lord, he's the only one who will. Amen. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Words from uh, Dr. Brian Chilton. Uh, been waiting to say that for a while, so it's good good to do it. And, uh, man, what a great episode and uh, all the all the warts and all, we thank everybody for sticking with us. So we here at Bellator Christie want to thank you for spending time together with us. We value that time. Our prayers that this podcast helps stretch your mind and to become a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and as a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christie podcast. Until next time, Brian and I say, soldier on, friends. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast with Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo. This podcast is an exclusive production of Bellator Christie Ministries and is protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The views expressed on this podcast may not reflect the opinions of Bellator Christie Ministries and its affiliates. We thank you for listening and hope you'll consider leaving a positive review. To see more from Bellator Christie Ministries, go to bellatorchristi.com.